You're listening to Quintessentially Mental, a podcast hosted by Sure Eyes. Please note that this host is not a mental health practitioner or professional, and this podcast is not meant for treatment of any mental illness. Baobulb.org is a podcasting platform and a medium for storytelling. This podcast is also available on all the major podcasting apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Podcast your life with baobulb.org. Hey y'all, this is Quintessentially Mental Podcast and you're listening to me, your host, Shiraz. Today's episode, we're talking about, I guess, coping mechanisms or things in your toolkit that you could potentially use to help manage, live with, deal with your your mental health state um i don't know i know personally i've tried a lot of things um some things work better than others um i've tried talk therapy i've tried group therapy i've tried exercise mindfulness eating properly sleep medication um you know, and I guess the truth is that there's no silver bullet. There's no like, this is the recipe for a balanced mental well-being. Um, or, or that's what I think. I think different things work on different days. Um, and sometimes I don't feel like doing anything. Sometimes I don't feel like crying. And so I end up wallowing and you know, just kind of feeling my anxiety or feeling my depression or feeling my, you know, overwhelming sense of being overwhelmed. I don't even know what that word is. Overwhelmingness, overwhelmedness. I don't even know. Um, You know, I, I, instead of just always going into like problem solving mode and it happened pretty recently, you know, I returned to work after being on maternity leave for, four months and it's like in my brain I'd just forgotten that I have a super stressful and busy job I just forgot and so day one when I was thrown back into it and I was like oh (laughs) this is actually pretty hectic um and then at about quarter past four my nanny was getting ready to leave because she leaves at five and then I thought to myself shit, I need to do the dishes, I need to take my son, I need to bath my son, I need to exercise, I need to finish work, I need to cook, I need to, and I just started getting overwhelmed and anxious that I'm not going to be able to do it all. Um, And so I had a major meltdown. I just kind of cried for about five hours. And I was, took the meltdown to another level. I was just like, I'm so alone. I can't rely on anyone. No one's here for me. I'm just have to do it all by myself, like I wallowed. Um, and it took it maybe, you know, the next day where I kind of said, okay, but now I can stay in that state and I can feel a depression coming on if I had to remain in it. Or I can kind of look at my toolkit and go, okay, I have family support. So what I had to do was just kind of reach out to my mom and be like, hey, so I kind of need you to help me with the cooking or once I've bathed my son can you take him and I can just do 30 minutes of exercise or you know so I kind of had to reach into my toolkit and figure something out to help me with this you know particular challenge and I thought 
let me invite my friend Nicole back to the show. Um, again, we've had a long-standing relationship. We've um, we've kind of walked the road. We've tried many things ourselves. We've self-medicated. We've professionally medicated. We've hospitalized. We've we've done it all. And I, I kind of just want to have this conversation with her around, you know, how she's built her toolkit and her kind of survival, surviving mental wellness. Um, so, hey, Nick, how are you doing? Hello, hello. It's nice to be back. Thanks so much for joining me again. I appreciate it. I'm glad you think that uh, what I have to say is so interesting. <laughs> I mean, we you know we we talk a lot about uh, we we talk a lot about mental health. Like when we do, can do we do? No, we do. And I think I think it's important that we do. So, um, but just jumping right in there with what you, with something that you just said um, about allowing yourself time to wallow. I think that's so important and it's something that, you know, everybody always says, pull yourself up by the bootstrings and just get on with it. And, yes, and that's kind of like, yourself. I will reel it in when I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, we've got, we, we're up, up against such a um, sort of idea in society that we've got to always be positive and we've got, you know, we beat ourselves up about, about the idea that, that we're going to have bad days and, and and it's not really fair to, to to ourselves, you know, because we just don't base ourselves whenever we have a bad day and we're like, oh, we just need to get up and get on with it. And, you know, I think there's a lot of value in terms of your toolbox in in allowing yourself a little bit of time and space to to feel your feels. You know, there's nothing wrong with with giving yourself a little bit of time and and giving yourself that space to go, okay, you know what? I've had a bad day. Uh, I, this is how I feel right now. And that's okay. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm not going to feel like, oh, this, this is what I should be doing instead of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just allowing yourself that. I mean, obviously it comes with, you know, some, some limitations because obviously you don't want to allow that to become a downward spiral where one day turns into two two days and two days turns into a week and a week, you know, and, and on and on goes. Yeah. It's not that yeah. you want to allow those feelings to to completely overtake you. Um but it's just really about not not beating yourself up when you do have your minor, well in your case, rather extravagant meltdown <laughs> about the fact that you you feel overwhelmed I mean, sometimes it's nice to just throw your toys and that's and that's okay uh, as long as then afterwards you go okay uh, I've had my little meltdown now I'm going to to see how I can deal with this and cope with it and move forward from this um I think what I learned you know obviously every meltdown I've learned in hindsight from it you know, where what I, I realized I did, which also wasn't fair, but I felt like I needed to have said it was, you know, in my meltdown where I felt overwhelmed and where I felt like I didn't have support. And I felt like, you know, what I what I then tend to start doing, and I think a lot of us might be guilty of this, is then start like kind of convoluting issues or kind of compounding. Mm. So instead of me just going, okay, um, I'm feeling overwhelmed 
because I've now had this had to start working again after having a baby and now it's this new dynamic of you know being a mom being a working mom and then also having to do all the other chores and having to do yeah kind of compounding it with the fact that yeah I'm always everyone's caregiver and I'm always looking Absolutely. after everyone else and who's looking after me and then compounding that with why isn't it, you know, and so growing and growing. And I think I could have maybe cried for an hour and that was why I ended up crying for like five hours. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that the, 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 the takeaway from that is that feelings don't exist in isolation. You know, what you're feeling about one particular issue, you know, in that case, it was, it was about work, but that feeling, it, it doesn't just, limit itself to to feeling overwhelmed about work you know, that might have been the, the root root cause of it but that feeling then spreads into into everything else in, in yeah. life and and that can be be quite difficult to then start to differentiate you know where this this feeling is actually coming from but i think one of those tools in in the toolkit is to to do exactly what you did and and look retrospectively and go you know where is that feeling coming from and then the next time that meltdown happens, you can you can stop and you can look at how you're feeling about everything all at once, all of a sudden, and maybe take a step back and go, you know what, I'm I'm feeling overwhelmed for this one reason, and it is, you know, making me compound these issues elsewhere. So I'm going to go and do something else for ten minutes, and that feeling will subside, and I will come back and I'll feel better about this. Yeah. So I think you know having having the ability to to be introspective about it is is important so that that you can deal with things differently next time. Yeah, and so I think if we if if we if we look at this idea of having a toolbox and what's that? I don't know. I, I remember a, a, a kind of like a phrase from therapy or from where it says like not every tool is a hammer or like what is it? Not every I don't know. I found plenty of uses for a hammer, so no, but I, know what you mean. I don't know what the phrase is. Well, not but I think a hammer can, a hammer can sort out pretty much any problem. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, and so and so I think, you know, if I if I think about, you know, before I knew, you know, if we if we think about this idea or this landscape of having things in our reach to help manage our mental health you know our mental yes i think you get like things that aren't good for you and you get things that are good for you yeah of course there's healthy healthy coping strategies and unhealthy ones i know Mm -hmm. that one of my coping strategies before i actually had the self-awareness of like oh i'm doing this because i'm feeling a certain way i just found myself getting lit like yeah drinking so much and then realizing and doing some dumb shit, like just either acting. Yeah, I know I was there. Or <laughs> <laughs> like just doing some super dumb shit. And then after the fact going, oh, um, I was angry. Mm. And then also maybe a few years realizing, oh, anger is just like a mask for other emotions, you know, or, or the surface emotion for other emotions. And so I think you know, if we, if we can rather, you know, focus our conversation on some of the more healthier coping mechanisms. Um, sure. 
That's been found works for so, you. Like, I mean, what's your cocktail? What's in your toolbox? <laughs> what's my cocktail? <laughs> what's your cocktail? <laughs> what's your mix? Um, you know, I do think that we tend to revert to to unhealthy coping mechanisms when we feel overwhelmed. It's it's interesting how that happens. I think that the unhealthy coping mechanisms are, are things that we've learned over time, and they become sort of ingrained in in how we deal with with the day-to-day our day-to-day lives and the reason why we have these toolboxes and why we refer to them as 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 this like definitive thing is because having other things to turn to prevents you from going down that route of using those unhealthy unhealthy tools um you know so i think a big part of uh the 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 toolbox is actually just knowing that you have that toolbox. Yeah. It's that yeah. it's that you have identified X number of things that that work for you. And when you get into a, a, an overwhelming situation or you know an overwhelming headspace or you're feeling depressed, it's knowing that you have those tools. That's that's very important because it, that prevents you from sliding away and sort of that losing that sense of control when you have your tools and you know that they're there you have that control you have the ability to go okay i'm going to open up my box and i'm going to see what's in there and see what i can do in this situation so for me a big control is a big thing uh, in my life um just because i've always felt you know right when i was a kid i've felt like my life has always been out of control so i've i've done everything that i could to try and try and create that sense of control and because of that i've found one having that toolbox has been very important but also having strategy and i guess you could call that a tool in my toolbox um having the strategy about what to do in a situation where i start to feel like i'm i'm losing myself or i'm starting to feel depressed or um you know and the anxiety is overtaking me what do i do in those situations um you know and i i i have a therapist obviously that i've spent a lot of time discussing this with and i think it's it's quite important to actually share these things that you that you outline with someone you know so someone else knows uh what to do in those situations um you know so that they can help you because oftentimes when i when our feelings overwhelm us we can't really see the wood for the trees and it starts yeah. to become more difficult for us to make decisions or make good decisions for ourselves so having someone there um to to be able to be your sounding board or to say you know this is what we identified when you were in a better space this is what you should be doing right now yeah. i think that that can be helpful um so yeah i think i think having a strategy i mean it's obviously going to be unique for everybody but i know for myself um there are certain things that i know i need to do if if my bad day turns into a bad week turns into a bad month you know i i see a therapist and I, i see a therapist even when i'm not feeling depressed or 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 whatever it's 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 something that i consistently done for the last 15 years of my life because it's important to me and it's important to have that have that resource available when i need it and I, um, that's sorry to interrupt you there i think that's something that people shy away from right so i think 
people don't see the value in having a therapist because they're like, why must I talk to a stranger who doesn't know me, who doesn't know my situ, who's not invested in me, who's not, you know. That's exactly And I'm just like, for me, my response is always, but you would go to like a doctor, a bariatric surgeon for your like stomach issues. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you go to a psychiatrist, someone or or a psychologist, right? Someone trained yeah. in the human psyche, someone trained in that particular physiology. Who and they Absolutely. might not understand you, but I'm sure they've seen your your kind. <laughs> they've yeah. seen your type, you know. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea that oh, why should I talk to a therapist when I can talk to a friend? And there's a big, big there's difference, a big difference. Between very friends are not and, trained to deal with not many of our friends not trained to deal with it but it's unfair for you to expect your friends to be able to deal with your mental health issues you know they can support you and and a good friend will support you but a good friend can't hold you up a good friend can't give you you know the tools that you need to to dig yourself out of whatever hole you're in you know and to to get your head space back to where it needs to be you know, you, you can't expect friends to do that. And and if you do, it's actually, it can be quite emotionally draining for them. And I think it's important for us to be aware of that. And it's important for us to, to be aware of the effect that we have on our friends when we're in those mental states. Not to say that you can't and you shouldn't. I mean, because you, your friends do definitely form a big part of your support structure and they are important. But you can't expect them to be everything to you. you and, know, I, and they are yeah sorry carry on I think this is the mistake we make right is and I see it in relation like romantic relationships more so than just with friendships it's like you expect your partner to be everything to you right yeah you know to fix all things wrong with you so to speak and I think you know it's something I I used to do in a relationship where I'd have it's my, you know, it's for you to validate me. It's for you to um, kind of build my self-esteem. It's for you mm. to make me feel a certain way. It's for you to, yeah. at that level, never mind, you know, once you reach a point of crisis, for you to deal with that. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's really dangerous, I think, for a re- Absolutely. For someone like me who used to struggle with like codependency, you know, for someone who, like me who creates dependency in some of yes. the relationships that I have, you know, it's it's really dangerous because you don't you kind of rob yourself and the other person of being autonomous or of being yeah. having agency of taking you that control that to talk about, you know. You'll definitely eventually cut that person off at the knees because, you know, they can't, there's no way that one person can, can hold another person up indefinitely. It's just, it's impossible. We don't have the capacity as human beings to, to carry someone for an indefinite period of time. You know, so you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing them a disservice, you're doing your relationship a disservice. You will eventually break it because you are you are expecting too much from the other person. And I think having a therapist can definitely not only help with those issues, but it can also take 
a lot of the response, not, not necessarily the responsibility, but a lot of the expectation away from your partner, the lot of expectation that you have in terms yeah. of, of not the support, but the, the advice giving and the, you know, just, it's about having someone else that you can go to and put your cards on the table and talk through these issues and actually develop not only new ways of thinking about things, but perhaps finding those the the tools that we're actually talking about, finding those in conjunction with someone um, and a professional someone, as you said, you know, if you were to to have a broken leg, you would go to a doctor. You yeah, know, like why if is you it? had cholesterol issues, you would go see a dietitian. Mm-hmm. You would go see maybe go on cholesterol meds. You'd go on. Yeah, you'd, you know, there's you'd be doing things. the sweet exactly. things that you would do in yes, yes. and it's it's like with with weight-related issues, right, or like blood pressure-related things, as an example. There's medication, there's diet, there's exercise, there's... Exactly, exactly. And I think there's no thing. one thing that will solve the full mental health problem. But there isn't, you know, and I think, Something you know... The, the next, sorry to yeah. you, like, I know yeah. there was a point when I thought... You know, now that I'm on antidepressants, you know, I won't be depressed I was anymore, say. you know, and it's like, this is the thing that is going to cure me, you know, and eventually having to realize that that's one part of my puzzle. That's one part yeah. of, my, of the things that keep me going, you know, that's, yeah. that's exactly what I was, was, what I was about to say is that, you know, the next tool in our toolbox is definitely medication. But there is that expectation, I think, especially for someone who's new to to taking um, psychiatric medication, that we're going to go in. And yes, it's because you hear all this, oh, you've got to try all these things, and you know, but but keep on with it. And you you go in with that expectation, but then you think this is going. This is all I need to do in order to be happy. <laughs> and I use the word happy because that was my expectation. And I don't think I ever really um, defined it so so clearly to myself. But I think that initially, when I started taking psychiatric meds, that was what I thought. I thought that if I take these things, I'm no longer going to be depressed, and I'm no longer going to be unhappy, and my life is going to look the same as all the other people I see around me, who I, I think you know they they like they look like their lives are together. And it was the furthest possible thing from from the truth, because it doesn't exist in isolation. It doesn't it doesn't just change who you are as a human being. It doesn't change your circumstances. It doesn't change your habits. It it doesn't change any of that stuff. What it does do is it lifts your your mental state up to a point where you can then start to change those things yourself. Absolutely, and I think, I think this is this is what I've recognized with kind of medication is mm. it gives me space. If that makes sense. It gives my breathing room, the space yeah. process. Um, you know, it's the analogy, the analogy that I, I've, I've kind of been using is, is when you're depressed or you're having these mental health issues, you feel like you're free floating in the ocean and you're kind of drowning and you can, you can, your head keeps kind of going underwater and then you kind of come up and you take a breath and then you go under again. What the medication does is it, it's like a life jacket and it gets your head above water. It doesn't get you to land. You still have to put in the work to get to land. 
floats, but, <laughs> but you're floating, but you're floating, yeah. you know, so you're not, you're no longer drowning, you know, you've got to swim, you yeah. know, uh, so that's kind of how I see it, it's, it, it gets you, it gets you that breathing room, it gets you that space, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so, but then comes the work, then comes the other tools that you need to, you need to start implementing, as you, you pointed them out, uh, things like doing exercise, finding, finding hobbies, I mean, who knew that hobbies were a thing? <laughs> Who knew that you needed them after school? You know, <laughs> who knew you needed them as an adult? Like my life couldn't just consist of work and partying work and watching watching TV. You know, I mean, <laughs> no, but but what I what I've really really come to realize is the importance of it's not necessarily a hobby. It's just finding things that you enjoy, and I never. I never stopped to think about that for, for much time because we're always so busy. We're always working and then, you know, we're seeing friends and we're doing and we're just constantly doing. And, and there's never, there was never, I never really stopped to think about what I actually like, what brings me joy just to, to do on a daily basis. And, and finding those things is quite important, you know, because now when I feel overwhelmed or you know there's certain things that I can go and do that that just are nice it doesn't have to be make me ecstatically happy but it just it brings me some sort of calm because because I just enjoy doing it you know I'll go and I'll sit in my garden and or I'll pull out some weeds or you know I I've taken up crocheting can you believe it I'm turning into Martha Stewart that white lady okay I see you Corin turning into Martha fucking Stewart, but I, I really I really like to crochet. But but you know, it doesn't have to be any of those things. It's it's completely dependent on who you are and what you like to do. But it's funny you, you know? say this, right? Because one of the things that you know we we've become socialized to is almost like the idea of comfort eating, right? So like mm. oh just have yourself a good meal or like and I just started thinking while you were talking, you know, is that is that line between even something that could be seemingly good for you becoming unhealthy for you? Absolutely. So anything in anything in excess. Yeah. So like if you, you know, it's when you're using, all when you're using it was crochet, like all day, every day, you know, at, at the exclusion of other functional things that you needed Absolutely. to do for your life to be balanced. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, you know, but that's that when you start to use something as a crutch, then it becomes an issue. There's a difference between a tool and a crutch, you know. When when you're only limping along with and using that thing every every minute of every day to try and get yourself through the day, there's a difference between doing that and using something in a healthy way to to maybe self soothe, um, you know, in a moment of anxiety or to just lift your mood up a little bit or a big a big tool and there may be some this may be a bit of a contentious one because I'm not sure how everyone feels about this but a big tool for me is definitely distraction it's distracting myself from my own thoughts and feelings um because I can get very very bogged down in my own thoughts you know I can spend hours just staring at the wall thinking things that I shouldn't probably shouldn't be dwelling on and and you know, getting stuck in that obsessive loop of thought. Now what I do is if I need to think about something, 
that I know isn't necessarily going to go down a healthy path. I, I allot myself a period of time. And this might, I mean, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I, I literally say, okay, you've got 20 minutes to think about this and then you have to go and do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it, yeah, because I distract myself. Yeah, but you've recognized, so so I do it in an unhealthy way, right? So I know that even though distraction is a tool that can be used to help you cope in like situations of anxiety or, you know, mm-hmm. it just, just overwhelming emotion, whichever emotion that might be. But I take it to the extreme. So I'll be like, okay, I'll watch um, – so I'll watch, one, I'll watch one, one YouTube clip of something funny that will take my mind off what I, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm six hours later, exactly 30 <laughs> videos later, or like it's 2 a.m. It's like, oh my God. We all do it. It's called a YouTube spiral for a reason. <laughs> I mean, YouTube as an example, right? But I'll say, no, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do this thing for, and I think it takes discipline to say, I'm only going to do this thing for five minutes and then I'm going to go back to the thing that I need to deal with. Right. Like absolutely. It takes a lot of discipline and a lot of practice. You know, and none of us are doing this perfectly. You know, we're talking about these tools as potential things that could help you and, and things that you could be doing instead of binge drinking and taking drugs. But, you know, these are not, this isn't a perfect system. Uh, You know, we all get stuck in a YouTube spiral every now and again. And sometimes I'm feeling stressed out and overwhelmed and there's a million things I need to do. So I go and watch 30 episodes of something on Netflix rather, you know, it's not a perfect system and we aren't perfect and it's okay to have those days. Right. Is to realize that. And I think I was very guilty of this when I, Mm. when I started out on my mental health journey was like, I need to do all of this perfectly all the time because we're perfectionists and that's who we are as people. And we must self-flagellate for everything that we feel like we're not living up to expectations. Yeah. I mean, God and forbid, we, just don't, like, we yeah. don't do mental health, right? <laughs> I'm just like, if I can do this for like 70% of the time, I think I'm okay. Totally. You know, and, and it's, I think that accepting that is, is also a tool in one's toolkit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the ability and the, the, well, just the awareness and the knowledge that it's okay if I don't get this right 100% of the time. You know, it, it's, it's not a competition and we're, we're, not, we're not trying to be perfect here. We're trying to make life better okay. for ourselves and more manageable for ourselves. It's about working with what we've got, you know, and we've been dealt a particular hand and it's no better or worse necessarily than anyone else's, but it is our reality. And we, we have to learn the best ways to, to manage with that. And I think that toolbox is, is it, it helps us out in times where we feel like we can't make good decisions um, or where we would have otherwise made unhealthy decisions we now have a whole array, you know, out in front of us of things that we could choose to do instead of making poor choices, like, you know, getting lit and and doing dumb shit. <laughs> you know, some some famous chick said that. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate thank it. You. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, not sure about y'all out there, but like I think Nicole touched on something important towards the end of our conversation, which is at the end of the day, man, we've all been dealt a hand and that hand is imperfect. 
and that hand comes with context and that hand comes with backstory and that hand comes with you know the choice of what card to play at which point and so the toolkit isn't the static thing that you know you only have a limited amount of things that you can only use at certain times if at all um it's something that you can continuously expand on it's something that grows as you, you grow. should what be yeah. exactly what might be useful to you now in five years might be useless because you're just at a different point in your life and I think the the key takeaway for me is really trusting myself to figure out what works for me um and and giving cutting myself some a big old chunk of slack like just being like I girl you're not Susie perfect like we can just breathe and try the best we can at every time. And even if we don't have the energy to try to know that we will eventually, you know, and And that we'll try again tomorrow. Absolutely. So Nick, thanks so much for this conversation. It was. Thanks for having me again. Really helpful. And um, to y'all out there, darlings, always take care of yourself, take care of each other, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. And I'll hit you up next week with another episode of Conversation Independent. Thank you to uh, our platform, baobal.org, for hosting such a, I don't know, controversial topic. Um, thanks for allowing the space for us to have these conversations. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this podcast. podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. You've been listening to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast hosted by SureEyes. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about mental health. And remember, we are always perfectly ourselves. Mm-hmm.